0: Hello and welcome to Newsreel with Joe and Neil. I'm Joe. I'm Neil and it's December already. How'd that happen? I don't know. The year just flew by. Um, This week we're going to be discussing the protests in France, which is pretty crazy now. I think it's finally caught media attention globally. Um, Also the, oh yeah, well the other big thing last week, big in a way I suppose, was the border incident in Crimea. We'll be touching on that. The G20 summit in Argentina. And hopefully as well we'll get on to some updates in the Russiagate Nothing Burger as it plums new depths of nothingness disbelievability. Okay, so um, in France, la révolution s'est recommençée. It seems. There's a revolution speak. in the air. Spe- speak normal, okay.
1: Speak normal, will you?
0: Okay, so the revolution has started and it's being televised. Um, it has and it hasn't. I mean, this is a new recent movement. It began on November 17th. It was two weeks old now. And it have been going on nonstop like every day in many towns, usually just in the big cities, but even in smaller towns. And every weekend it flares right up because, of course, people aren't working then, so they participate. Um, but the last two weekends in Paris crazy, major riots um, you've probably seen now the, the scenes at the Arc de Triomphe, the centre of Paris yesterday as of yesterday evening 92 people were injured there, 14 of which were police officers, gendarmes, the riot police and some 205 people were arrested um, who's responsible for that? protesters or police? for the rest? well the violence I suppose
1: well, with well, these kind of protests, you have to assume the high likelihood. After certainly, when they go on for a little while, the high likelihood that there's some kind of agent, agent provocateurs, which is quintessentially French, obviously. Since
0: uh, what's the French both, for agent provocateur? Both
1: those words are French. So uh, these are p- police, police, uh, ten close policemen pretending to be protesters. Go in and you know.
0: I, go- wreck I go- the place. I googled agent provocateur, mm-hmm. Paris protests. And there's no French results returned. Yeah. I think they might use that same term.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you have to assume but that that's well the they're well familiar with it, yeah. Yeah, you have to assume that that's the case always, but not not necessarily that you know, completely in a sense. I mean, it's very hard to tell. But when there's consistent violence, like there has been, uh, particularly in Paris, but in other cities as well, and there's consistent viol- violence like that, you either put it down to agent provocateurs initially, um kicking things off and setting a violent tone to the protests and then people continuing it on themselves or them continually doing it i mean by the way it's not just obviously the people who are throwing you know battling the police and throwing rocks at the police and throwing whatever at the police are not uh they're not all police agents basically they're right. they're, they're ordinary people who are angry you know and obviously the start of this protest was about supposedly a rise in fuel prices but if you talk to people uh, on the kind of streets and stuff which we've done. Um, that's not. It's not just oil prices. They're kind of fed up. There's a general malaise, and they. And of course, in these kind of protests, the president or the leader of the country is the one who has to resign. That's why you hear all these uh, slogans or shouts of Macron démission, Macron resign, basically. Yeah. Um, but it's, I think people are actually not happy with him. I mean, French people. It's unusual for French people to not be happy with their with their president. They or to a, be happy with him. Or to be. Or a, uh, yeah, 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 exactly. It's not unusual for them to be unhappy with them. Yeah. Uh, they generally speaking, it's almost, it's bizarre in France you, people elect supposedly, assuming there's no rigged elections and whatnot, assuming democracy still works. At least the, the, po- the, the votes and the elections are legitimate, let's assume. It's bizarre because French people, generally speaking, elect someone. The majority of French people elect a, pre- uh, a president and then... You know within six months they're out in the streets shouting for him to resign um and that's <laughs> almost across the board i mean it depends on the scale of the protest but it's almost like they do it as a matter of in, in the past they've done it as a as a way to send a signal they may not necessarily be that annoyed or that unhappy with with the new president but if he just does something that they don't like, then they'll get out and protest just to send a message type thing. They, they have it in there. It's in their genes almost or in their blood type yeah. thing, where they just feel like you know, individual kind of social activism and you know, individual rights basically and the rights of the people versus the government. They're basically fundamentally distrustful of government um, and they see it as a fundamental right, along with the right to free speech and all that kind of stuff. But in France, the right to uh, protest is, is really high.
0: Yeah, um, and to protest government riotously.
1: Yeah, if if necessary, you know
0: they will erect barricades, block roads, and stuff.
1: But all that said, I think people in France, a lot, a lot of people in France are. We have some questions over the last election whether it was legitimate, legitimate or not, whether the vote vote was actually what they said it was. But I think people in France, generally speaking, many of them probably a majority, are not not happy with Macron. Uh, he doesn't, he's not a lefty. All
0: well, his official polls rating is like yeah, single super low. But something. the problem is
1: this whole idea of centrism. The, the country, countries in Europe and in the US, you know, in the Western world, if you want to call it that, have been divided between left and right for, for generations. Mm-hmm. There's been lefties and righties right for decades and decades. So people are used to that. So somebody takes up a centrist position you think that you're combining, you know, you're uniting the people, but what you're actually doing is you're not making anybody happy because
2: mm-hmm.
1: you're not enacting leftist policies and you're not enacting rightist policy. In fact, you're criticizing both of them or you're being more, you're being more pro-corporate corp, cor- corporations, let's say pro-business, which is not, doesn't make left, left people happy. And, and this is Macron, he's pro-business and at the same time, pro-diversity and anti-tradition. So he's pissing off both camps. So it's, it's ridiculous to be in the centre. That just means nobody likes you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's the, that's the case. And I think a majority of people in France don't like Macron for that. And they also don't like him because he's this young guy who's just wet behind the ears, very little political experience, comes into, you know, basically is shunted into power. He's someone's, he's someone's kind of front man, you know, mm-hmm. someone obviously longer established uh, political, uh, kind of, uh, I don't know, political big wigs. Uh, put him out there and, and financed his uh, and in business as well. Financed his election campaign a couple of years ago, and um, and and he he's not doing well for that reason. And at least the French people can see that that he's just really he doesn't fit the bill. Yeah, you know, and there's questions about his sexuality as well, which are kind of um, as much as
0: they're too hard to miss. But... Yeah, and
1: as much as the French people are, are generally speaking, you know, let's say a good portion of the French people are. Are, are not homophobic, whatever. Are quite progressive in that respect. In terms of, you know, they respect the rights of of, of individuals. Uh, the problem with Macron is that he styles himself as a man of the people in this kind of almost like he wants to be an elder state ma- statesman when he's still only forty one or forty two years mm-hmm. old, very uh, little history. And he, because of the, his quest his his question of sexuality, and by that I mean he presents himself as a as a as a happily married man for many years, but. There's, you know, there's good reason to think that he's homosexual, and uh, and it's the fact that he's duplicit about, duplicitous about that. Yeah. And it's not you can't put it down to fear or whatever, in the sense of he's afraid of coming out and and admitting. He may be afraid of it because that may not that may influence people because maybe French people would be prejudiced in the sense of they maybe don't want someone like him who's a homosexual to, to represent them or whatever. But certainly in terms of the official narrative on what people would be expected to, the kind of uh, tolerance, the levels of tolerance that French people would be would ex- be expected to and would expect themselves to adhere to, he should have no fears in that respect. There's an Irish, the Irish prime minister is openly gay. There's who else? There's someone else in, in Europe.
0: The former prime minister of Luxembourg was openly gay right, and married what, to right. a man when he ran campaign right. and became prime minister. So
1: it's not a problem in that respect. Uh, so the fact that he would be being covert and implicit about it. Yeah, about why, it, not, not honest about it, basically. Why uh, hide but, it? Yeah, but why hide it, yeah. So he's rubbing people the wrong way in that respect. And like I said, he's just he's just not very presidential, you know. He, you know, he, he's he got this thing where he wants to, you know, he wants to... Uh,
0: Project an image of... A, man a of, fatherly image, really. A fatherly
1: image or a man of the people type thing, but he, you know, and he thinks he can really connect with the young guys and all that kind of stuff, but... You know, he takes it way too far. He, 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 he The young guy and the old ladies. Yeah, well, he sullies...
2: everyone. He, he and the kids. He dis- the kids.
1: He discredits the office of the president in France by taking that too far. Yeah. You're meant to be a. You're meant. You can identify with the people or be a man of the people, but you have to remain aloof. You have to maintain your and, what's expected of you as president. You're and meant, earn you're, it. Earn it. But if you if you if you think that you have it already, you're meant to show it. But he doesn't show it. You know, and he, he he's just he's a fish out or of he, water in that he respect. He messes of, up.
0: Trying to show it, I think he yeah. has a, a an idea of what it's supposed to be, but it it doesn't jive but that's, naturally with what people are.
1: Yeah, he goes too far. Yeah, you know where he's like when, really? when he was over in Haiti. You know, I mean, you're a president of France. You don't go and a couple of young, kind of dodgy criminal guys with their shirts off, sweaty sweaty black guys in in Haiti come up to you. You don't you don't give them big hugs and kisses. You know what I mean? Mm. I mean, and then actually it, uh, in in that event it. it it came out afterwards, it was probably known at the time, but it came out afterwards that both of them were actually criminals They were kind of drug dealers or car thieves or something like that. You know, and he's down there I think really his, pressing the flesh with them. All,
0: his, his press office tried, I, mean, I think it was a year before those images came out, uh, they tried to not have them go out, and then they somehow got out.
2: No, so I think the, there was a year difference no, between came when, out when it time. happened.
0: Yeah?
1: No, yeah, it came, they came out not too long ago. Like it was, when was the Haiti hurricane? It was back in... Well, that
0: was, that was last year, I think. That's why I'm saying that. This year. No the really devastating pair of hurricanes that went through the Caribbean. I think that's when he went.
1: It was after but that, and was... uh, quite a while afterwards. Like, i have okay. to check it, but okay. I think they came out at the time anyway. Um, because I remember reading about the story of him being there and okay. then seeing the images, you know. Um, and that was seen as a good thing, you know. but So, yeah, the French people have every right not to be happy with Macron. He just doesn't cut the... He doesn't cut the right figure type thing of, of you know, a former presence. I mean, that was a problem. Like, Hollande before him, this kind of like chubby kind of like bit feckless gormless kind of guy he it already started with him like you know because you back to people having their mind in france and in france and maybe another european countries have in their mind the image of like charles de gaulle you know tall statesman like aloof all that kind of stuff you know and that's what people would prefer in a in a, in a in a leader in a president someone who's better than them who's obviously better than them who can even look down his nose at the people to some extent Mm-hmm. Because you're meant to be higher than us, you're meant to be better than us, you know? You're not meant to be this kind of man of the people who gets in and kind of you know rolls around with uh, with the locals type thing. And know? celebrates
0: like, in the changing room with all the black boys after the World right. Cup in Russia. I mean it goes a bit. Like, um so then that... in the middle of that, it was weird. That was maybe it's maybe it's got subs now, we should play sometime. So it's in the changing room last July in in Russia. They're celebrating champagne and And there's videos taken by the players, and they stop now and then. He stops proceedings now and then to announce to everyone who wants to say something. And he brings in a guy he'd taken with him who was a veteran of French recent uh, military battles in Mali and Central Africa. And he said, hey, this is so-and-so. He lost an arm or a leg or something, and he wanted to say... I can't remember what his message was. It was something like, you know, this is for these guys, you know. So he was trying to be the statesman linking, talking up and giving a good sheen on France's dodgy military operations in Central Africa with a room full of African migrants slash descendants of. Right. And you could see the guys were like, yeah, yeah, they were clapping. But you could see their brains kind of went into a semi-catatonic moment where that doesn't fit, dude. Why are you Is this even doing appropriate? this now? It, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more champagne. Yeah. Well, that's He's a good example just of that. out of touch with yeah, that's basic good, social
1: cues. Right. Uh, or, or or the general atmosphere in the country, the general sentiment of the of the people in the country. You know, it's like out of sync with with that, and uh, not reading the population, not reading the, how the population feels. You know, but yeah. that's that's a malaise that a lot of European leaders have you know oh, yeah. and, and in the west and maybe around the world that they're very increasingly out of touch with the population and they're and then the remedies that they apply you know okay i, I know what you want i'll do this and he, they think they can appease them and tell them with with fine words you know uh, appease them and, and and make them make them happy again make them like them again but people they don't realize that people are they don't know what people want basically they're not listening and they don't care you know yeah. and, and it's almost a case of never the twain shall meet because what those politicians yeah, the level of corruption is so is so are advanced in, in European countries and in many countries around the world, that governments can't do what the people want. You would need a complete re- overhaul of the system, you yeah. know. Uh, so all they're left with doing is trying to bullshit them. You just try and bullshit the people. And then the people are already primed for your bullshit. They don't like it and they protest more. And it just spirals down, you know. And the only solution would be a complete overhaul of the system where the whole corrupt clique of them are all out of office, you know, are all removed one way or another and you start again. So, I don't know. But yeah, it's, they're, they're strange protests in a certain sense in France right now because the traditional protests in France are with uh, are organized by the trade, trade unions, unions of one stripe or another for, for their own, pushing their own, their own issues or their own, their own grievances. These are organic these are supposed, so supposedly it started with some guy on the internet just saying uh, we should a go woman A woman who a, started
0: a petition at change.org. Right. Now at a million some signatures um, from their social media spread out. And then people were making, locally making flyers. And there's no insignia, logo, website, central. Mm. It's just locals made their flyers as they saw what they were protesting. It's right. interesting, the one we got, I wish we kept it because I couldn't show it, but... Uh, the placards each had a different image of what they were going to be out protesting. And one of them was just the increase in fuel tax. That's already been increased and is due to be again in, in uh, next month, actually. Um, but another one was the increase in price on cigarettes. Well, that's something that's never, ever, ever talked about. That's like, oh, that's long dead and buried. We all know smoking's evil now, mm-hmm. so we can just keep taxing the shit out of it. It was one of the visual... Reasons of dissent they were giving mm-hmm. ordinary people in in, in rural France right. why they were going out there. Right. You keep taxing the hell out of us,
2: yeah.
0: uh, squeezing us on, on a whole range of things. Now, yeah, okay. So, the official the not the petition that was originally made was about specifically a fuel tax. Mm-hmm. But you talk to people, and they're being interviewed. You know, it's being fairly. T- it's not being glossed over in the media that there's a general discontent with being squeezed, with people feeling like they have to make a choice between. Um, Are they going to heat the house this winter or are they going to eat? I mean, if they're on a thousand euros a month and half of it's effectively uh, a covert form of income tax, Mm -hmm. although it's officially sales tax on things, essentials you have to buy. It might be on your utility bills. It might be on your phone bill or internet. It might be whatever uh, fuel tax, but it's effectively they're being taxed to hell. It may as well be income tax, even though normally it's non-existent for for, for low income earners. And then you've got the whole mix of people complaining that while they work for this pittance, which is then squeezed, the minimal amounts, at least for a successful chunk of newly arrived immigrants, maybe from the recent waves or earlier, 10 years ago, whatever, get a lot more in in terms of the allowances they're entitled to. Mm -hmm. Um, that's partly because it's, it's, it's an ideological problem. They, they, they're they able to game the system more because there's a predisposition in the elites to make this integration work mm-hmm. in order not to prevent this kind of social disorder, mm-hmm. but the very actions they think they're doing to help the situation is making it worse. Mm-hmm. And that's why you've got left and right here. This is, if, if you were looking at this, and I, I saw an American on Twitter yesterday, um, asking the question sincerely, I think. He was like, I, I don't understand yet. Are we looking here at Antifa or a sort of French Proud Boy bunch? Who, who's doing the writing here? I need to know if it's left or right. And I responded to him and said, no, no, dude, th- this is both and neither. Mm-hmm. It, the, the, the kind of polarization isn't present right here in this movement. This is actually organic revolution, in quotes, I don't know how far to go, in the sense of a general pushback against the elites mm-hmm. in general. Mm-hmm. There's no, yeah. there's no particular yeah. angle on it it's, yet.
1: It's pure in that respect. Yeah. Yeah. It hasn't been adulterated by ideology Yeah, except anti-corruption.
0: But that's actually provided some sort of comic relief in all this because, um, French prime minister. Uh, and the French press all last week were asking, well, who, who do we talk to? Let's say you've got demands you want to be met. Okay, so lower prices and, and, and some other political or economic demands. Who do we talk to to discuss this? Mm. And the prime minister tried to arrange a meeting on Friday, just two days ago, <clears throat> with six nominated leaders from among the Paris protesters to go meet them. Only two showed up. Mm-hmm. And one stormed out after two minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like, there, it, it's a it's a. It, I almost feel sorry for the government in how to what to do about this because mm-hmm. there's no one to talk to. Mm-hmm. The, the norm of the thing, the the way they're so used to ruling, with syndicates
2: right.
0: and corporations and NGOs and NGOs then all grouped together under umbrellas makes it nicely organized. Mm-hmm. But that's how the system became so bloody sclerotic in the first place and corrupted. There's a, there's a vested interest of cor, corporations and these powerful NGO, NGO umbrellas at this point, that keep, including the trade unions, that keeps everything as it is. Mm-hmm. But you've got the people saying, you all have sailed out over here and we, the people, are left over here, so talk to us.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and there's an incomprehension of the elites because, like, who are we talking to? And the only thing they do comprehend is now that it has a more violent aspect, at mm-hmm. least in the major cities. Mm-hmm. Now they can understand it. Now Macron can... Uh, speak as he did while he was in Argentina. Um, at the G20? At the G20. he's Now he can talk about it, and now he has something to engage with because he's familiar. He knows how to deal with it, or his backers do. In French, he said, Les coupables de ce, ces violences ne veulent pas de changement, ils veulent le chaos. Ils trahissent les causes qu'ils prétendent servir, which means those responsible for violence don't want change, they want chaos. They betray the causes they pretend to serve.
1: Mm. Well, yeah, of course you're going to say that.
0: Well, how is that going to go over? Mm. I mean, They're just going and to say in sync with these stronger statements coming from the government about the violence and how this is terrible, we're seeing, probably as a result of explicit instructions, the gendarmes crack down harder and harder mm. with each passing day. And well, Yesterday was the most violent day yet.
1: Yeah, and today he's talking about uh, imposing martial law state of emergency specifically. Well, that's
0: interesting because France had been under that for two years. It right. was lifted last November. Right. So the and the justification for that was the war on terror, right? right? Well, terror the
1: attacks. attacks, yeah. But what's, I mean, so yeah, state of emergency in France, if we've been under on one for for most of the last two years, what's, what, what, are we meant to be scared about that? Is that meant to be a threat or something? Ooh, we're so scared. What does that mean? That's what we've lived under that for two years anyway and it makes no difference really. It doesn't. And it how, just means more cops on the streets.
0: Didn't we hear, was it an anecdote or a quote from an interview um, in the French press before this protest movement began um, concerned uh, the, the tensions in the big suburbs, I guess of Paris, which are majority Muslim slash migrant populations. And wasn't there a, some military guy saying, you know, yeah, if the shit ever hit the fan, we don't have enough soldiers in this country right. to handle an actual yeah. insurgency yeah. in our suburbs. Right. Anyway, so that was before. Now we've got this going on. They had five thousand cops in Paris yesterday, riot police, full gear. How many more have they got available? Because we're well, talking about the, the bringing the army out as well. Right, might need it. Um, yesterday, uh, two days ago, the you, you you've seen this. Um, we can't show, I suppose, because he's speaking in French, but a police union spokesman went on RT France into their studio uh, to say, most of us cops back the Jules jaunes, the yellow vests, because we will be directly affected by any rise in fuel prices. Secretary General of the police union. Um, most of us can't live where we work because either it's too expensive or we would be arresting our next door neighbours. So we have to drive significant distances. Our, our, our tax contributions are going to go up while there's no commensurate um, rise in our wages. Mm-hmm. It's hard for us, the police, to accept these cruel cool measures. Yeah. And while he was in there, <laughs> the interview had already started, while he was in there, he actually took out one of these yellow vests and put it on. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that was just a rogue cop? Well, I, probably not. He's a spokesman, right? He's probably speaking on behalf of... He knows he's got the, some backing, you know, from colleagues yeah. and so on. And he's just sitting there in his studio saying, yeah, by the way, the cops, Yeah, they're kind of on the fence about this. At the same time, though, the cops are cracking heads, some mm-hmm.
1: of them. Well, what they do in those situations, What the co- what the government does is they bring in cops from elsewhere in the country, you know? There's no kind of local identification with either the city or the community standard, or whatever. and yeah. used to bring them in from further afield, you know, uh, that's probably what's happening, you know, oh, that's what the government does, generally speaking. Uh, I mean, that's what they did in Spain um, in, right. the, in the Catalonia uh, independence referendum when uh, they voted to leave, basically, and the Spanish government said no. Uh, the local Catalonia police were basically not inclined to beat heads among the ordinary people for Exercising their democratic right to to vote for independence, so they brought them in from all over Spain, uh, and, and hand picked the ones, let's say, or selected ones who were like very much pro uh kicking heads, nas- well, pro national sovereignty, if you know what I mean, and anti anti independence for Catalonia. So these, you know, you probably can pick, you can you can vet uh police officers or you have some idea of certain areas, geographic areas of France, where people are more, let's say, pro-government or uh, an anti-protester type thing, and then use them instead, and they'll they'll be the ones who will wield the baton with great uh, enthusiasm.
0: As we know, though, you know what they remind me of? The scenes of cobblestones flying yesterday. Mm, The Maidan, yeah. Remind me of the Maidan. There is a point where, an inflection point where, even those vetted (coughs) pro-state, Pro authority figures can go, geez, this is too much." I mean there, are, there were scenes yesterday of gendarmes being picked off as they you know pushed and counter pushed the protesters right under the Arc de Triomphe. I mean, you couldn't have staged it better. I don't know how that happened, but I, it was partly because they were kettled into that one area right by the police because all the access points around that huge roundabout. I mean the those cops that were getting isolated from the rest of their pack mm-hmm. getting their head kicked in and then then some of the other yellow vest protesters came over and actually saved them um so it's uh, i don't know if, in a way it's like yeah it's another wave of protest i mean it it reminds me a bit of the occupy wall street in 2011 that's 7 years ago now in at least in the way it began organically this is a bit different though in that it's it's not just young people students only started joining them this week um it's usually working people people who've never protested before um and they are really mad as hell i mean maybe this is this is them hamming it up but uh on-site reporters for press tv and rt say they have never seen this kind of violent uh, this level of suppression of protesters in europe before now they should have been a Catalonia because it was like that yeah. last year. So, right. not quite that it's novel, totally novel. But it, this is maybe a bigger scale, and a bigger issue. Mm-hmm. It's nationwide now, and it, yeah, you're seeing them, You're seeing what. I, this is the this is the one benefit. <laughs> it's a benefit. I mean, it's a silver lining in this is that we're all going to now see the real face of the do-gooders who talk a good game about democracy and Mm -hmm. human rights Mm -hmm. and the will of the people and Mm -hmm. what the people want, we're going to see the the rubber boot that actually upholds that Mm -hmm. uh, rhetoric. Mm -hmm. Um, There was also, I want to show this actually. Can we play this video? Um, It's very brief. We don't even need to hear it, of the snipers. Um, Now, there were rumors that... um, well, at least one guy had been killed by the police shot but I don't think that's the case some people were really badly injured in any event they had snipers on rooftops around the Arctic Triumph last night I mean they're they're not messing around like um
1: hmm. they're preparing they're getting a bit jittery like the. oh yeah the, the authorities are getting jittery and they you know they're preparing that's obviously you have snipers on rooftops you're expecting you may be like you mentioned earlier, they have Maidan or something in, their, in the back of their minds and that could turn violent by whatever means, you know, not necessarily yeah. there could be some fifth element group comes in there or whatever and starts a shooting match and uh, so you take those precautions, you know. And
0: if they believe half the BS they believe about Russia, they would be braced for a revenge act where Russia would send in right. snipers and fire both sides and right. right. cause a revolution in right. France. But of course, that would not be the real likely source of it. It no. would be the fifth element behind right. the Western power structure. So yeah, um that's that's
2: yeah. We'll have to wait and I'm see. still torn
0: between how novel this is. But a few other facts that I think uh put this in some context. One of the waves of protests under the previous government, Hollande's government, was um I can't remember what it was in, what it was in French, but people were donning a red hat, a bit like the the hat of the revolution, the Marianne hat, And um, that was a protest, a rise in fuel tax at the time. And I think they successfully got it repealed. Hollande's uh, government said, all right, we won't increase it at this time. Mm. Um, in fact, that measure was likely pushed forward. It's what we're seeing Macron implement mm-hmm. if the new government is exactly the same as before. It, it's an interesting, okay, so it's just a fuel tax. And they're not really complaining about that. They're complaining about the general Mm. Uh, squeezing of their finances, but th- it's interesting that the fuel tax—the the, the is a reason for why the government wants to implement it—is a part of Macron's and previously Hollande's signature program of converting the economy into the future green, re- carbon neutral economy?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And they have not made; they haven't tried to hide it. Doing this kind of thing is done with a view a grand goal of eliminating all petrol and diesel fuel cars from the roads in France by 2040.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: As part of the great shift into the beautiful green utopian future. Mm -hmm. And that's what being said to people, we're asking you to pay now because otherwise our children would have to pay because the planet will be too heated and we'll all die in some catastrophe in the future. It's amazing because the ideological reasons are, are always presented in terms of concern for your children and their futures. And people initially go, Okay, but when the, when the rubber hits the road and you're asked to pay now while you're already practically destitute,
2: mm-hmm.
0: it's like, no, well, no, we're, we're going to pay and then we're going to trust that this government is going to use that as declared mm-hmm. and reach that goal in a generation from now. Mm-hmm. There, there isn't enough trust for such a, no, such a, A scheme that's so long term the 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 basic trust remember this is all the while corruption scandal after corruption scandal exposes that for example just two years ago the finance minister of france the guy who who collects the taxes officially was not paying his taxes Mm -hmm. and was shunting his funds into swiss bank accounts Mm -hmm. (laughs) i mean like people are supposed to hear that and go right they're corrupt as hell and now you're asking us to trust that you want to save the planet Mm and thereby save us and our children's future Mm -hmm. by taxing the hell out of us now.
2: Yeah.
0: Sorry, but no, we don't believe you. Um, and so that's what it's interesting because it left or right, wherever they stand on the issue of global warming and and what man can do to fix and save the planet, Mm -hmm. both see through that as a line of BS because they don't trust those rosy intentions, Mm -hmm. declarations Mm -hmm. from a government that wants to create a carbon neutral economy. Um,
2: yeah.
1: Well, we'll have to wait and see where it goes, obviously. Um, it's uh, It does seem to be slightly different from previous French protest movements, um, although it will obviously die out at some point. People, I mean, Christmas is coming up, and I'm not sure. I'd be surprised if they keep it going all the way through Christmas, but you never know, I suppose, but I think it will probably die die out between now and the end of this month, so um, until the next time. But I think this will be more, this may serve as a precedent uh, for for future similar protests um, you know, because it seems to have galvanized a lot of people and it's got a lot of attention and you know people are really, people are committed like people are going out and staying out for a long time, all day, sometimes all night uh, consistently and so yeah, I think we're going to see more of it uh, as things probably worsen mm. in terms of the general atmosphere in, in, in France and in other European countries as well. People just more, well, this, more and more discontent. It spread
0: to Brussels on yeah. Friday.
1: Yeah. This, well, burn,
0: which went straight to burn police cars right, right in front of the EU yeah. buildings in the, the European headquarters.
1: Well, it's interesting. It reminds me of a term. I think it was Tom Ridge used to be the Department of Homeland Security under Bush. Uh, I think it's the, in the. I think it's in the Patriot Act, basically, uh, where they mentioned in a list of you know possible threats to the homeland. Uh, they used the term disgruntled citizens, and that's like what that was the thought, whole well, that's point. Ten, 10 or 15, 10 or fifteen years ago, you know, so it almost it suggests you know that for a long time and maybe long before that, governments have had it in their mind that oh yeah, it was simply you know simply it's not that you know, it's not terrorism. It's not you know. Uh, You know, people who are, you know, anti-establishments, you know, strongly anti-establishment, anarchists, those kind of people, you know, the the usual suspects type thing, you know, radical groups, basically. They include just generally disgruntled citizens, right? Mom and and pop unhappy about something, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Those people are a threat to the state and they've known about it for a long time. Absolutely.
0: Well, it should be hardwired into anyone running for any government position that that's what your main concern is but in part because it represents a threat a danger to the unitary state you're supposedly about to take the reins of but not just because you need to keep them down but because you need to be listening and fairly reciprocal or reframing how you want to push what you believe is best for the country There needs to be, you have got, of course, disgruntled citizens should be top of that list. It shouldn't be all the way down here under saving the planet, fighting terrorism, all this, which is all BS. And any real smart, for good or bad reasons, government leader should be aware that, oh, yeah, well, that's just the ideology. Ideology, ah, there's the actual practical concern of it should be lesson number one in how to be a government person. Mm -hmm. In, In the books they read and then the degrees they have to get and so on. So, yeah, um, it's, it's like, but there's so much BS, like, I mean, on the, day, on the day of these yellow vest protests spreading to Brussels, which went straight to riot situation, inside one of those buildings, unless he was in Strasbourg, but I, I imagine he was in, inside, Guy Verhofstadt, like ultra liberal, totally like for full federalization of the European Union, former Prime Minister of Belgium, tweets um to announce that the eu has a grand plan by 2050 to make the entire european union a hundred percent carbon neutral economy the first in the world the glorious utopia outside police cars are burning (laughs)
2: like are you that stupid
0: yeah
2: Yeah, well they
1: are i mean wishful thinking and (laughs) in their own little bubble paying no attention to the people. The more people r- respond you know, angrily towards the government, the more the government flies into denial and concocts increasingly wrong-headed and useless policies to try and solve the problem. It's just you're, get, you're gonna get an increasingly wide gulf, you know, uh, an increasing gulf between uh, the people and their governments, you know, if they keep acting like this, because that's the response. They don't respond, respond rationally to what's going on in the country. They respond with more bullshit let's double down on our bullshit which will piss the people off even more it's just it's ridiculous i don't know it's it's, it's very frustrating it's like what do you say about it you know what i mean it's just gonna yeah, go, it's just... gonna go somewhere bad and you can see it coming you know and yeah. there's nothing anybody can do about it you just have to sit there and watch it you go eh, yeah and then you get to say what i told you so yeah that, that's great like you know when all the, when all the shit
0: has finally no, hit the fan when the, the fan sh- falls over it's not even you don't even get to where i told you someone because when the shit hits the fan Everybody knew what was going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody already knew that. Yeah. And they listen to you going, oh, don't you try to claim it. <laughs> yeah. So you're, you're, you're still knew. pushed off <laughs> yeah. for your warning.
1: Well, they claim they knew it was going to happen.
0: Because they immediately start to rewrite the narratives right, in the brain.
1: They just sleepwalk into it and
0: then... Oh, it was always so. It
1: becomes a new reality. Yeah, anyway, we'll wait and see what happens with that. But that's, yeah, it's, it's notable uh, for sure as an indicator of a general malaise Like I was saying, uh, in Western society, a general discontentment among a lot of people, uh, largely due to uh, bad government, mismanagement and and bad government and corruption, obviously, massive amounts of corruption. So we'll see. Uh, What else are we talking about today?
0: This Um, um, Ukrainian provocation uh, at the Kerch Strait. well, I mean, it's pretty transparent, isn't it? Crimea River, America. Well, the entire media says Russia did it, of course, but they, they love saying Russia did it. Well, Russia did do it. Anyone who's thinking, though, knows that it's um, this is provocation to demonize Russia, in part. That would have been one motivation. It certainly jived nicely with Trump finally having a reason why he could not meet Putin on the sidelines at the G20 in Buenos Aires. Uh, also, I can't go because... Uh, He's a, he's a bad man to Ukrainian Navy. Okay. Um, so it's a demonized Russia. And, of course, the um, other thing that's coming up are elections in Kiev.
1: in March. I don't 19-year-old. know why
0: they even pretend. I bet they don't want it, but they hate it. They pa- probably just want to institute of, the Ukrainian American prime minister. Leadership.
1: Yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> the Ukrainian Prime Minister, Poroshenko, has officially a 7% approval rating, which <laughs> yeah. is basically nothing. Zero. Well, it's, it's, when you're down at 7, you, you have nothing. Seven was probably just a, a counting error. Well, he's, a very, he's
0: a very good Western leader in that respect. Yeah. Because a lot of them are at that level too. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. When, you're, when you're part of the, the elite club, then you assess your, your success or how good a job you're doing by how few people actually in the, in the country that you rule over like you. Yeah. Uh, the fewer people like you, the better job you're doing, apparently, uh, as far as from, from the elite club's point of view.
0: Um, what's what's my disapproval rating today? It, yeah. It's sir it's currently at 93%. Oh good, I'm doing something right. Yeah.
1: Okay, excellent. You're in single digits. At excellent. the
0: same time though, he knows his trouble. That's why you go to the lens of doing yeah, this kind of propaganda. Yeah,
1: he's trying to. I mean, it's just jingoistic, right? I mean, it's, like, it's such a it's such a transparent ploy, you know. What do you do? Uh, it's like Maggie Thatcher, you know. Maggie Thatcher when she was uh, in 1982 and she <clears throat> she was going to be up for, up for re-election soon and uh, she wasn't too sure about whether or not she would uh, win another term she decided to have a war in the falklands and lo and behold a lot of jingoism just spewed out her everywhere our boys abroad fighting good war yay england yay patriotism oh who's the most patriotic party generally conservatives okay let's go with them let's vote for them and they vote for them and maggie thatcher wins again so it's a t- i mean it's as old as history basically what do you do poroshenko has got needs some support from the population needs to galvanize the population around him uh do we have an enemy yes sir we have an enemy you know who it is it's russia they're our enemy and everybody doesn't like them at least you know that's what we like to think that everybody hates them so well can we get russia to attack us in some way and make us look like a victim and that we and therefore i need to you know i don't know maybe close the borders you know implement some strong and stable leadership tactics whatever and maybe i'll get you know up to 10 percent approval rating as a result.
0: And they declared de- declared martial law, which in Ukraine I don't even know what that means because it doesn't mean They can't it. do anything. <laughs> so, it's anything successfully. Yeah.
1: Uh, it's well, business as usual, right? Martial law, I uh, no change. You mean
0: yeah, uh, status quo. Uh, yeah, right. So although yeah. he's going around calling for everyone and their army to come over and
1: right, bring in the Germans, bring in the French, bring in everybody, whoever sanctions, you know, attack Russia, do whatever you can to attack Russia. Um, it's Russia's not
0: taking any chances, though.
1: It's obviously a setup.
0: Bringing in the more S-400s to Crimea. Yeah,
1: they're obviously taking it seriously, or, or to show of strength or whatever. But yeah, it's hard to know whether they actually think that they would ever need to use those. Who's going to attack? You know, some someone going to attack Russia? Some someone going to attack their ship? Who's, what are they, what's NATO going to do? Bomb some Russian ships in the Sea of Azov or something? Or bomb some ships in the Black Sea? Bomb Sevastopol, maybe? Bomb the, the, the Russian... Uh, Naval base in Sevastopol in Crimea? Uh, I don't know. But obviously, you have to do it. it. Basically, you can't not do it. You put it there, but I don't think the chances that anybody realistically believes that you would, uh, that you would use it, you know. But the thing about this situation in Crimea is it was, uh, it was there for the taking. It was there, there to be stage managed. It was, that provocation was there to be done because uh, for the past, really since, you know, since Russia, not long after Russia uh, or Crimea voted to rejoin the Russian Federation, and it became part of Russia. Um, the Ukrainians obviously they closed their border. Um, well, recently they closed the border. They, they increased obviously checkpoints on the border between Crimea and Ukraine. But recently, after this recent in- incident, they basically closed the border to all, all, uh, to anyone except Ukrainians. Um, nobody can get into Crimea anymore. Not allowed in unless you're, Ukra- you're Ukrainian. Um, but They've also, in, I don't know how long ago they did this, but it's been quite a while. It's been at least a year. They cut off the water supply. Ukraine cut off the water supply to Crimea. Uh, and you can see it actually in maps of the greenery. Uh, the green, green, greenery of the of the country, the coverage of, of plants mm. in the country. It's like from last year to this year, it's basically all brown basically because they're, they're having water shortages. they the having a Water shortages, yeah, because Crimea has cut it off, you know. And... So those are the policies. I mean, you, know, you can say the Ukrainians are justified in doing that because Crimea was illegally stolen from them by Russia, but that misses the point that that wouldn't have had to happen. Russia wouldn't have had to to basically more or less take Crimea, even though the Crimean people voted and were happy to rejoin Russia. It wouldn't have had to have gone that way if uh, the leaders or the, you know, the, whoever they are, the clique within Ukraine did not get together with the U.S. State Department and plan a coup in 2014 that was specifically designed to deny Russia for geopolitical, broad scale, geopolitical reasons, specifically designed to deny Russia its naval base in Crimea, in Sevastopol. That was the whole point of the Maidan revolution, the overthrow of Yanukovych and the installation of, uh, of the State Department, basically. The State Department's chosen, hand-picked people to be the presidents. It was the takeover of Ukraine by the US State Department and to throw Russia out of Ukraine and out of its naval base in, in, in Sevastopol and Crimea. No other country in the world would have sat, sat there and taken that. It's mm-hmm. a major, major blow, a major attack on Russian sovereignty and it's on, on, on Russia itself, on Russia the country. It's, it's a declaration of war. It's an attempt to steal a major military base. Imagine, you know, give me you know, I don't know, what are the major military bases in, in the U.S.? I mean, there's obviously...
0: Well, it, it's ones abroad. Or oh, in the U.S. proper world.
1: Um, yeah, effectively in the U.S. proper, because that one in Crimea was... Effect- Fort Worth. Fort Worth, wherever, any of the major U.S. naval bases, let's um, say naval bases, over in California.
0: Norfolk, Virginia.
1: Imagine somehow Russia was able to, like, basically deny the U.S. access to one of its own naval bases. It's a, it's a declaration of war, effectively, and Russia was fully entitled to do what it did, which, is, which was to secure its naval base, which was, you know, indirectly they did that by... Uh, having a referendum taking crimea and having a referendum and the, and the, the good thing for russia was that the majority of people in, in crimea wanted to rejoin the russian federation so the ukrainians have only got themselves to the blame for the situation but they're they're they've got you know sour grapes all over the place as a result they're crying and complaining and they're just like they're pathetic they, that junta in kiev are absolutely pathetic as all quizzling governments are they're completely discredited and, and pathetic and they're crying and they won't shut up about you know evil russia russia this russia that they hate russia basically so that leads up to the situation where they decide well what can we do well part of the part of the the circumstance that led up to this incident in in the Kerch strait was that as a result of ukrainian antagonism towards crimea and towards russia russia has been exerting its control in the seas of azov and the Kerch strait by checking all of the boats that sea of, of azov they're basically in you know just off the black sea up into it borders ukraine and russia and um, a small kind of sea there are ports along there mariupol and stuff uh, industrial ports belonging to uh, that are ukrainian but there's also russian ports and all that kind of stuff but russia having a bigger military and bigger you know bigger uh, naval forces has basically been dominating uh the the transit of of ships in and out of the in and out of that sea of azov and to the ports and back and it's been harassing ukrainian ships and and kind of detaining them and checking them because it's suspicious. And there's every right to be suspicious of the Ukrainians because they've been plotting for the past four years openly and covertly against Russia. So they're just increasing security. So uh, they've had enough of this. They've had enough of Russian strong-arming us in the Sea of Azov, harassing our you know, ships and our military ships and all that kind of stuff. So they sit, decide to do something about it, which is to let's make Russia look bad. How can we provoke Russia into taking some action against some of our ships and then we can say look see russia did it again the european union is probably going to pass more sanctions against russia for this ukrainian uh, the Sea of Azov incident and trump like you mentioned cancels a meeting with putin it's all just to make russia look bad you know and and all with conniving certainly of the west and of the state u.s state department and the u.s deep state
0: the the backstory to this that i heard was different um, I think it's the Russian side, and I think it's true as well. We need to check it, but I think there's a, been a string of incidents in the last couple of years of the Ukrainians illegally boarding Russian ships in the Sea of Azov and taking uh, the captains of yeah. merchant vessels it, in illegally. Well, I think there's been, if anything, the pattern is the other way. It's well, not been the Russians harassing. I don't,
1: them. I don't know. The thing is, I would leave that open, you know. But what what I would say is that I mean, there's that's two sides of a story, basically, you know conflicting accounts and maybe both of them are true you know who started it then you have to get into who, well, who started boarding ships you know i don't know who started boarding ships what i'm saying is russia has every reason to be suspicious of ukraine because it is effectively a, a, yeah, a u.s absolutely. government outpost on its borders yeah. and it you know there's obviously the issue in donbass and you know the, the 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 war taking over there and russia has every reason to be i mean this them taking ukraine the U.S. state department taking ukraine is pretty much the same as uh, the progress of nato up to up to russia's borders over the past you know si- since the end of the cold war where the, when the when the us promised they wouldn't do that then they go ahead and start pushing into poland into romania into bulgaria into the baltic states and all kinds of they start pushing towards russia and, and and setting up missile systems in those areas and this coup in ukraine was simply another way to do exactly the same thing to push right up to russia's border and take Ukraine away from Russia, take it out of its sphere of influence and, you know, surround Russia effectively with U.S. military apparatus. So on balance, obviously, Russia has every reason to do whatever it thinks necessary to protect its own interests because it's being threatened. Yeah. It has been, thre- it has been being threatened for the past 10 years actively yeah. in very direct ways the- by, by, a, by a power that is attempting and wishes would love to see Russia destroyed. Yeah. What would you do? You
0: know? the, what set this off last week was that there's an existing arrangement.
1: Yeah, they share the sea.
0: They share the sea, and it, all it is is that, and this predates the Maidan coup. Right.
2: Because if you're
0: free. passing through the, the, the Kerch Strait, you just notify, say who you are, mm-hmm. fine, and off you go. In this case, they were radio silent, and once they were radio silent on their approach, that's when the Russians sent out ships, yeah. and then they tried to communicate, Directly ship to ship, no response. Right. Then they rammed well, th- Then the Ukrainians started doing these crazy maneuvers, mm-hmm. which we all saw. Then they rammed them and brought them in. So it was a change in right. the normal procedure as agreed between the two countries that predates the Maidan. Yeah. Which uh, doesn't conflict with your, your general point. Yeah. But on the specific legal yeah. in laws of the sea, yeah, they were the, violent, the Russians they were are on the right here.
1: They were violating an agreement. Yeah. But well, they also shot at the Russian sh- at, the, at the Ukrainian ship.
2: Yeah.
1: They put, put a hole in it. Like. Yeah. And, uh, but the weird thing about it, is, what I still don't understand about it is, is what...
0: That's because they were, they were armed, those ships. Yeah.
1: They're, they're, they're two glorified dinghies with, oh. ma- with machine guns on the front.
2: Yeah. There's well, two fifty
1: they... 50 caliber machine guns on the front, and they're little, small, Corvette-type ships. American ships. Not, not, ships not very Given big. to Ukraine a couple of years ago. Right. Well, let's... Uh, yeah, and, and two of them constitute, I think, a third of the Ukrainian Navy. So I yeah. think they have seven or eight total, um, or six. Uh, the Ukraine has no navy. So these two little dinky ships, sure, grey ma- gunmetal metal warship looking things, but all they've got basically is two machine guns, a machine gun on the front of it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, f- probably a 50 caliber machine gun. And But the weird thing is there's two of them. And yes, allowing for all this kind of radio silence and not, not responding to instructions or not responding to requests uh, is a provocation and what alarmed the russians but what i don't i don't really understand still how it got to the point where it got so chaotic and the Ru- and the russians and essentially took the bait because if this was a provocation mm-hmm. russia doesn't ha- has a history of not taking that bait that comes in the form of provocations by western powers it's well used to it, it knows it's it, it knows the way they do those kind of things and it doesn't take the bait because it knows that when it takes the bait that's what they want to do so that that, that you'll respond in a certain way and now we've got you Mm -hmm. now you've done something wrong now we can demonize you so what i don't really understand is why russia shot went to the point of you know firing on those ukrainian ships because like i said they're two dinky little ships not really any threat to the significant to the russian military forces or russian military and air force and naval forces in the region and also what the hell was the tug doing it was like two dinky naval ships were escorting a tug what the hell was the tug doing there? What's, yeah. that, what, what's the backstory there? What were they doing? Why a tug? Why would, why would two, two naval ships be escorting a tug or be in the company of a tugboat?
0: And you found a possible clue, although it's not being discussed by the Russians, not yet, in... I don't know if that's true or not. Well, well there was a
1: story earlier on this year, basically, mm-hmm. that in the... Was it Newsweek? or No, the Washington Examiner, by some pundit who said... The U.S. or Ukraine? He said Ukraine, but it really meant the U.S. Obviously, Ukraine can't do anything without the help of the U.S. Uh, That they should blow up the new bridge, the Kerch bridge that Russia built at great cost over the past couple of years and opened earlier this year. Um,
0: Which is pretty much where this which joins Russia
1: to Crimea. Yeah, which is where this went down. Right. So. I'm not saying that there's anything necessarily going on, but I can understand how the Russian the Russian government and the Russian military would be very <clears throat> nervous about that bridge yeah. and would not be trusting the Ukrainians. Especially as after far as they get all from.
0: the um, acts of... I suppose they fall under acts of war, but uh, really acts of terrorism they've conducted in the last couple of years, assassinating in car bombs um, and other explosive devices. Um leaders of the Donbass Rebellion. Right. Um, among others, um, there have been assassinations of Russian journalists in Ukraine, of course.
1: Right, infiltration into what are supposedly Russian areas. I mean, Donbass is, is a Russian, effectively a Russian-aligned area. But somehow, someone was able to get in there and plant that bomb to blow up, uh, what do you call them? Sakharchenko. Sakharchenko. So, you can't, you can't be too careful, basically, in, in this kind of situation. When dealing with an enemy as, as, Insidious and as duplicitous and Machiavellian as the Americans in league with their Ukrainian nutjob partners, who are just hysterically anti-Russian. Who knows what they do? So, it would, to a certain extent, it might drive you to distraction and make you a bit antsy. So maybe that's the solution, to the, or the answer to the question as to why the Russians responded in this way, because they're just not taking any shit from the Ukrainians at all. Yeah, we're, we're beyond the point. We're not. We're not. We're not going to second guess you. You know, we're not going to. We're not going to wait and see. We're not going to believe what you say. We're not going to necessarily assume that you're acting in an honourable manner. We're going to actively assume that you're up to something. And as soon as you step out of line, you're getting smacked.
0: And we don't mind the resulting media campaign making us look like Right, because
1: you've been doing that for Russia. the past five years anyway, right? Yeah. Putin killed my baby. You shot down the at 17. You uh, hacked our elections. You hacked Brexit. You hacked the Spanish referendum. You turned uh, macron homosexual you uh, uh well, well pretty much everything right uh so at this point once they've leveled so many accusations against you it doesn't matter dude say whatever you want i'm tired of it at this point i'll just carry on doing what i'm what i have to do and you can rant and rave in your stupid media
0: This just reminded me if the yellow vest protests continue in france russia will be blamed for it mark my words you heard it here first people russia did it um Remember the movie Hunt for Red October?
2: Yeah. Uh,
0: Great movie. But the storyline is... uh, Dodgy. I never liked it. It never sat right that, you know, an American naval submarine is going to save a Russian one, but only because it wants to defect. Mm. So now they're right thinking. They're on our side. But all right, we'll we'll give them that. Okay. Um, There's another big movie... A submarine blockbuster out called Hunter Killer. The premise of which is <laughs> Putin was asked what he thought about it. I doubt he's watched the movie, but um, he, I think he was given the gist of it by a reporter and asked what he thought. Uh, the prim- the plot is an American submarine docks at a Russian Arctic base after rescuing a Russian president from captivity Preventing a military coup and averting World War III. So Putin told reporters, listen, we just had two small US boats donated to Ukraine, which could not pass the Kerch Strait. And you want a nuclear sub to enter our base? (laughs) This is a highly unlikely scenario. Surreal. And he was laughing. Like, that was a good answer. Uh, I was wondering, you know, what does Russia do now? Well, they don't need to do anything. I mean, Putin just said what you said, but in fewer words, he said, The problem with Ukraine is it's run by a party of war. Mm -hmm. Donbass, Crimea, its own people, its war. It's just, what can you do about such people? Um, there was one response though, a little asymmetrical. Um, later last week, Russia announced that henceforth, anyone wishing to pass through the Northern sea route, which the necessarily in the Arctic, which takes you, of course, close to Russia's shoreline, will from now on have to notify the Russian authorities. So no more sneaky passages through. It basically, okay, look, if you can do that. I can do this. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was a, kind of an asymmetric response. Right. And then the question: What what does Russia do with those boats it has now? Maybe they can give them to Norway. I hear they're in need of a right a boat.
2: Yeah, that yeah. way you
0: can recycle NATO vessels.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: save save the planet a bit.
1: Yeah, recycling, good. <laughs> All right, what else are we talking about today?
0: Um, the a few updates on Russia Gate. Mm. Oh God. First, earlier in the week, The Guardian published a bombshell report. Bombshell. Saying that uh, Paul Manafort, who very briefly, of course, headed Trump's campaign in 2016, had secret meetings with WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange. Except he didn't. Except he didn't. And it was dismantled hour by hour all through last week, such that The Guardian the author of it, Luke Harding, was backtracking faster, and they were rewriting the article. It was apparently changing in real time as it was easily proven to be a lie. Um, it, it's bizarre it, how they're uh, one of the One of the back- backtracking was that um, they said that, listen, if this story turns out to be untrue, comma. It'll likely be because false information was fed to the Guardian by Russian operatives.
1: What a bunch of idiots. Like, I mean, if you can say that in advance, then don't run the story.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But, but
1: you have to run the story because it's, it, it furthers this ridiculous bullshit, nothing burger story of Russia collusion, Russiagate, blah, blah, they hacked our election. Which is all, people don't understand that all of it is a lie. Every, there is no substance to that whatsoever, and but it's, it's yeah well you know we know we're in a post-truth age where you know um, truth is irrelevant, facts are it's fluid. Just, it's just you make it up as you go along and you put it out there's the truth. Um, as facts as you know just the facts, ma'am. You know in you know impartial reporting by the Guardian or by the BBC when it's not it's complete and the vast majority of it is complete and utter lies unless like I keep saying it's a story about you know, a cat was caught up a tree today, then you can rely on the BBC. If there was a cat rescued up a tree by firefighters, okay, there's a decent chance that was true. Anything about politics, Russia, international politics, there's all, it's all partially or completely false. And they have and the, it's all opinion is the problem. People think it's not opinion. Yeah. They, they People separate their websites, so these reputable news organizations supposedly separate their websites between just factual news and opinion and the put. Here's our opinion piece, uh, which is... W- which, it, you know, are the, yeah, so opinion piece. And so that's just, just our opinion. You don't have to you don't have to assume it's true or whatever, but obviously they argue strongly for it and people believe opinions as well, as much as they believe facts, especially when it's coming from an authority. So the idea that they put an p- opinion and think that, well, nobody's really going to believe this. No, they know people are going to take, read the opinion and go, yeah, that sounds really true. I'm going to take that as fact. There's no difference between fact and opinion these days. And even when they're reporting the facts, the facts are by definition slanted and presented in such a way that they are imbued with bias. Because you can take facts and cherry pick facts and leave out certain facts, leave out historical facts, and say, and you can claim, I'm still only reporting the facts. No, but you're ch- you've cherry picked the facts. You put them in a certain context. And therefore, it's bias and opinion. So all of the reporting by Western mainstream me- media uh, outlets is opinion, and it's massively biased opinion. Not only massively biased, but hystericized opinion.
2: Yeah.
0: You know.
1: I mean, look at it. When you get to the point where they can report it as fact about RussiaGate, about about collusion, when they've got to the point now where it happened. It now has- we just need to sort out what right. the consequences what, are, or what the specific details are. But we all know it's true. Mm-hmm. We all know that Russia hacked the American presidential elections. No, they didn't at all.
0: And they have the gall to call us fake news. Then, later in the week, the Cohen perjury. It's
1: more nonsense. Perjury, Insane. what?
0: Well, the gist- He
1: lied to the FBI because he didn't mention, he said that Trump didn't have any uh, uh, business interests in Russia yeah. leading up to I and mean, uh, during his campaign. Yeah. Uh, he lied to the FBI because why? Because <clears throat> the whole Russia Gate bullshit was already out there and he didn't want to make it sound any worse. So he didn't want to feed the beast, basically. Yeah. So he didn't say anything. But the fact that Putin... Or sorry, Russia, uh, Trump had some kind of construction.
0: He wanted to interest. build a Trump Tower in the right. heart of Moscow.
1: Right. What does that mean? What, what? 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 And what? That makes him Russian? Does that make him? in... Does that mean his best buddies were put...
0: What it's they're so trying. Rename, like, what they're trying do, they're trying to catch them out, and they assuming that what Cohen has now said is the truth, and the truth, and therefore what he had said last year about this is therefore perjury, technically, because. He spoke to two congressional committees about this last year. The only issue is when did it end? When did Trump's interest in building a tower a Trump tower in Moscow end? Now, almost certainly I could I can already predict what's going to happen. It ended sharply the day they went Russia gate right. on Trump, that, which was probably dossier. June, was it late June twenty sixteen when Clinton first yeah. voiced it? They had had steel working on it and uh, the dossier with GPS fusion, and then once that went out, it was like, "Oh fuck, we're Okay, just we will just and if they, if they ever ask you, Cohen, just say it ended, just backdate it and here's some paperwork, and that should have been it, because what they what they called him out in a lion in. It's not a lie. It's it's technically it's untrue, but they've only called him out because they, they they're trying to show that they were interested in getting a Trump Tower right when Russiagate started. Mm -hmm.
2: It's it's such and nothing. That process
1: went on for a lot, probably was going on for a long time, you know, planning permission, looking for sites and all that kind
0: of stuff. So, but Uh, uh, Trump has said flat out that Cohen's lying this time about when they dropped any interest in having a Trump Tower in Moscow. Um, But he's, he's He's looking bad, or it's easy for them to make him look bad because at the same time he's saying, well, anyway, I could do whatever I liked while I was still a candidate. I can have business interests anywhere, which is also true. Um, and it is a weird, I mean, it's just in itself, it's, it's a weird coincidence that he was interested in getting a Trump power in Moscow, still while campaigning. Mm-hmm. Um, although, of course, they, there's no, its totally innocent on his behalf because Russia hasn't been mentioned yet. That's the only comes in a few months before the actual election. Well,
1: what's interesting is the way, that it, the way that it's framed, obviously. When Trump, before Trump was president, him having business interests anywhere in the world was irrelevant. It was standard, par for the course for any businessman who builds buildings or whatever around the world, right? No big deal. Yeah. But then when you establish uh, a fact, a bullshit fact, a yeah. false fact that yeah. Trump and Putin are in bed together. Then and only then does Trump wanting to build Trump a Trump tower in Moscow become suddenly oh, what about what if that means he has leverage over him? What if there were dealings going on? What if Trump promised him that he would give him access to 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 you know to our government or something in an exchange for building his tower but, but it's but those people never stop and, and question the fact the premise that they start out with, which is that Trump and Putin are in bed together. And there's no evidence for that at all, whatsoever. I don't think thing's just gone so far that it's ridiculous. It's a big, massive, it's a circus. You know, it's 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 a freak show made up of absolutely nothing but complete utter horseshit. Yeah. Horse
0: shit. yeah. But one of the ironies here is that Trump did actually get Cohen to contact the Kremlin directly while campaigning to inquire about the possibility of building a Trump Tower. <laughs> Dmitry Peskov in Argentina just now responded to this and reminded everyone listening to his answer that he'd already stated this in an interview with CNN last year. For some reason, it didn't get blown up as a big thing then. But anyway, he repeated what he had said last year. Um, Peskov reiterated what he told CNN in August 2017. And this time, he read out the, the email that Cohen had sent him Or landed in somewhere in the Kremlin inbox. Dear Mr. Peskov, over the past few months, I've been working with a company based in Russia regarding the development of the Trump Tower Moscow project. Without getting into specifics, the communication between our two parties stalled. As this project is too important, I'm hereby requesting your assistance. I respectfully request somebody, preferably you, contact me, blah, blah, blah. Let's arrange a meeting. The thing, and Peskov pointed out, listen, that's maybe how things are done in America. You can just, if you're rich enough, you can just call the White House and get a sneak planning permission, mm. maybe a brown envelope. That may be how you do things over there. But in Russia, you don't call a freaking Kremlin and say, <clears throat> yeah, so I want to build a skyscraper. <laughs> so Peskov said that he, he told the reporters now what they had told Cohn back then, which was you kind of need to contact the Moscow the regular authorities. I don't know. What, yeah, and he reminded they, no, the the Kremlin receives dozens of these kinds of requests every day. All of which usually are outside the administration's competence. Um they he also Peskov also said that he told Cohen in his response that um Yes, yeah, so the presidential administration of the Russian Federation isn't into construction. However, if you're really eager to invest, you could always come along to the Economic Forum in St. Petersburg next year. Um, mm-hmm. It's insane. The only reason, so not only is this not news, new, it's, it's not news because all of this was already um, out in the public domain last year. It's only new news because of the announcement that Cohen has technically perjured himself because what he said to the committees this week differs slightly from what he had told them a whole year ago. Mm -hmm. Therefore, he lied. Therefore, they're hiding something. Therefore, this old news that, yes, they had contacted the Kremlin about building a Trump tower is presented as if it's brand new and it's lock stock, you know, oh, they've got it down. Washington Post ran a headline yesterday, Trump should be freaked out right about now. But there isn't actually any news. There's nothing, there's no actual new development in that. It, it's reconstituted. Someone barfed it back up and they're eating it again. It's like, it's beyond insane. It's completely nuts. Um, meanwhile, uh, separate, it's not, probably it's not, it is connected, of course. There's a headline like, also Friday, FBI raids home of whistleblower who had dirt on Clinton Foundation and, and Robert Mueller. Again, there's actually nothing new to what happened here. Um, It's been given a kind of retrospective aura of being a new discovery and the government's cracking down. Therefore, there's dirt behind it that people are hiding. So the, the issue in question is, two weeks previously, they kept it under wraps, but it was only announced this week, a dozen FBI agents raided the house of a contractor who had given Congress and the DOJ documents about the Clinton Foundation and the Uranium One scandal which implicated then FBI Director Robert Mueller.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The FBI agents turned up at his door in Maryland demanding to see the documents that this guy whose name is Nathan Kane, had already turned over to the Department of Justice Inspector General and the House and Senate Intelligence Committee. They'd, not only that, but the FBI didn't even try to contact him about the things he was blowing the whistle on beforehand. There was just radio silence. The first contact is a raid on his door. Even though he had said, this is where I live. It's public information. You know, I work here. You know. But they're concocting the appearance of, we got one. We got one of the moles. Implying that there's dirt behind this. It's, it's complete reverse. This is a guy who's blowing the whistle on the Clinton Foundation and her connections to Russian businessmen and the uranium one scandal, which implicate Robert Mueller, the very guy who's investigating Russiagate to find the dirt on Trump, the dirt's all on Mueller, the guy who's doing the investigating. This mm-hmm. is like, this is like the Warren commission. I mean, where Alan Dulles is sitting there at the head of the committee investigating his own freaking crime.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. That's the extent of it, basically. Um, pretty sad don't know how we expect anything to go right or be or make any sense uh where that that's essentially the the the, dis, the way the discourse is uh is pursued um yeah so what else uh there's not much else going on really is there brexit oh, brexit oh my god we
0: mentioned the g20
1: g twenty did you whatever? notice
0: how, as soon as they arrived there was an earthquake yeah Small, one. Small, three point eight magnitude, but it was pretty close to the city proper. Buenos right. Aires, thirty kilometers out. The strongest in that region since the 1980s. Um Yeah. Brexit. The, the I G20, mean, it's so weird, you know.
1: Or sorry, G twenty. Yeah, go ahead. No, no uh, um, I don't think there's much to say about G twenty there.
0: Me, it drives me. It it's it's bizarre. It's just a, you, a you talking watch the, You watch world leaders assemble for family photos. Where they smile and wave, and at the same time are either culpable or very close to those who are culpable for actively pursuing extraordinary geopolitical events that would ordinarily maybe provoke wars that I have historically. I mean, there was a time when a, a letter written in offense. Somebody, you know, caused wars where an affair over a woman caused a war. And these days, they they do gunboat issues like what we just saw—the curse trade. And okay, there was no war, and there's not likely to be one, of course, because everyone in the end is too invested in in keeping the whole show going. But they they all like, like backstabbing each other yeah. in the most heinous ways. And of course, the the one who who got most of the bad press because he literally still has blood in his hands was MBS.
2: Yeah.
1: a a picture of uh, a picture of uh, Putin meeting MBS Putin got obviously a bit of flack for high-fiving more or less high-fiving MBS Uh, that's a bro-five they call it a bro-five sorry bro-fiving MBS but look at uh, look at the (laughs) orange man in the background there you know I mean not that that was just him coming into the room you know
0: orange man not happy
1: but that image kind of Kind of, there's an awful lot. You could write many, a big long article about current geopolitical history and, current, oh, and modern geopolitics um, on on that image. You know what I mean? How it led up to today you know, and what, what's behind that, what's going on, you know? Um, a lot of people have.
2: Yeah.
0: Um,
1: but the G20 that they're at there is, uh, you just mentioned it, like them um, smiles and shaking hands and, and then at the same time kind of stabbing each other in the back once they leave type thing it's kind of like and you mentioned it's like a playing happy families you know it's a family gathering uh, it's well, they like, call
0: it the family photo
1: right it's the family photo yeah so but it's like a bunch of highly narcissistic you know malignantly narcissistic family members i don't know if anybody listening has ever been to that kind of a gathering where the majority of people at a family ga- gathering are all raging narcissists and just watch how they all interact. And you know what's going on behind the scenes, you know, and you watch how they interact. Pretty much what the G20 is. Uh, Raging narcissists get together and, uh, you know, live it up and talk shit about each other and then go home and try and plot each other's downfall. (sighs) That's the world we live in.
0: What do you make, what do you think of what can be said about that um, high-fiving between Putin and MBS? Putin and
1: MBS. It's just, it's just, I mean, well, it's real politic, right? That's the Russian term, real politic. And uh,
0: did he go out of his way to do the opposite to what everyone else is having to act, you know, angry and not impressed and disappointed with MBS?
1: No, I, I think he's not going to, Putin doesn't, uh, isn't so false or, and he's not going to, you know, make a show of things. Because, of course, like, you know, the Brits and the French and all that kind of stuff show their apparent, show their apparent um, displeasure with Saudi Arabia over the killing of Khashoggi, you know, and talk about sanctions. But behind it, they couldn't give a shit. They do not care one one moment. All of that's just for the press and for the people to kind of, like, make people think that they they hold the moral high ground when they're all in the gutter, basically. Uh, Putin, on the other hand, by the by that image, it seems to me that Putin and MBS actually like each other, actually get on well. And that's why there's that kind of greeting. But Putin's not going to, like, um, pretend to be annoyed or pretend that he thinks that uh, extrajudicial killing of a citizen by a government is something unusual. Mm -hmm. Only naive people think that that doesn't, that hasn't gone on for decades and doesn't go on all the time. And and the other person who speaks truth with that is Trump, who said in response, he he took flack for, you know, not being strong enough in his condemnation of, of MBS over Khashoggi. Uh, And Trump said, well, listen, if we hold everyone To to that standard, we won't, if we hold all our allies to that standard, we won't have any allies, which is true because pretty much all, you know, major highly developed democracies and the best governments, the most free and democratic governments in the world, all of them engage in killing, extradition, extradition killing their own own citizens and citizens of other countries.
2: Yeah.
0: And emphasis also about, yeah. On other citizens in other countries, duh. But yeah. even the the, even they, the yeah, sticking absolutely. point is on their own political yeah, business. I mean, obviously, like hello, Seth Rich, um, probably that Hastings guy. Right. Um, the UK, Pat Vanukin, human rights lawyer.
1: We'll go back to. There's loads of people in the US and a lot of less less notable. what do you call him, Gary uh, Gary Webb? Um, there's uh, there's bunch people. Yeah. Lesser known people. Less. Who who were just in the way. Everyone knows off, Khashoggi because all the because he's supposedly some kind of freedom fighter, which was completely not a shit. He wasn't. He was as big a, he was as big a jihadi supporter as as anybody else in Saudi Arabia. Um,
2: yeah,
1: he's like supposedly a Washington Times correspondent. No, he wasn't. He wrote about six articles for the Washington Times. That what that makes him a freedom fighter journalist, Washington or like Washington Post. That makes him a freedom fighting, you know, lover of democracy. No, no, that's whole history before that. And he was he was hanging out with Bin Laden and the and the jihadi's in the in you the eighties. You know, while,
0: while he was writing these democracy sounding, I love human rights articles for the Washington Post, he was writing for Arab right. speaking newspapers saying exactly exact yeah. the opposite. Like, you know, we just to reform Islam a bit, you know, but we're not touching the monarchy. Um, By the way, Israel's evil, yeah. which you would never say in the States, right. you know. Um, the one just one thing I want to mention. Uh, oh, uh, the whole article is just like, what planet does he live on? Some highbrow writing for um, CNN uh headline, the astounding Putin MBS High Five. It really pissed people off. Like I think what pissed them off was the, the freedom these two felt they had to do that when they weren't conforming to a, a behavior they're supposed to no, no, you're you're both bad boys. You the can't narrative, yeah. you look too free and sovereign. Yeah, you and should, that yeah, you should, irks me.
1: You should be you should be have a yeah, you should have big glum looks in your faces like, like you've done something wrong. You're both bad boys. You should look like bad boys. Go and sit in the corner. Go and
0: sit in the corner, yeah. Well, oh, this guy, Julian Zelizer, professor of history at Princeton University. Shh. Big op ed and CNN on this. The astounding Putin MBS high five. I swear to God, he wrote, It is as if Gilded Age corruption has reached the global stage. Only the implication Only, only being- now. It never was before. It's, if, it's as if the petty crimes of the commoners has, has entered our hallowed ranks among the elites, Who we who are pure and would never deign to do, never mind consider such horrible acts. Of, who are you fucking kidding? <sighs> anyway.
1: Bunch of freaking pedophiles. And what,
0: what about Macron, uh, his tête-à-tête with MBS? What yeah. a contrast.
1: Yeah, he was trying to smooth him. You know, I'm your bro. You never listen to me. You're a very naughty boy. Maybe I should give you a spanking. Yeah, you wish, Macron. <laughs> uh that's the kind of the thing. That's the, that's the fields he was giving MBS, you know. MBS and didn't like him joining. Don't that. worry, Macron. Don't worry, uh, Macron. Who knows what he was talking about? He was caught on on tape, like talking to MBS, saying he was worried, concerned about something, and that he never listens to Macron and stuff. And it's like, yeah, join the club. Nobody else listens to Macron either. Um, but. Uh, he was probably just—he's just making a show of of being, you know, being an. Authority. I'm there like, for you. I you need there someone for you to talk to. And yeah. I'm, I'm important. Macron's whole presence is about is going around trying to impress on people how important he is, mm. and he looks like the least important person in the room, especially that wife of his. But anyway,
0: um, I've one piece of solid data about what actually an outcome of the G20 was. Um, headline last night: Russia and Saudi Arabia agreed to renew oil output cuts. That was announced by Putin in his press conference. That's a renewal of an agreement they made back in September. It's a rolling kind of three-month agreement where uh, they basically agreed to, yeah, keep, keep the supply tighter. And they hope that will raise oil prices, I suppose, which is now fallen down to 50 or something, $50 a barrel. Yeah, Depends, oil
1: prices have fallen to $50 a barrel, but the French people are protesting high oil prices.
0: Yeah, because because of taxes. The taxes are 60 plus percent and the taxes to be increased in January.
1: Well, but it's also tied to the price of oil as well.
0: I think that's what kind of scares them about this handshake. Saudi Arabia and Russia are working in concert regarding oil. I mean, the only reason, the the ultimate central core strategic reason for Saudi Arabia um, being such a key ally is, of course, the petrodollar, It's the kind of oil spigot for the planet um, in terms of the availability of its oil. Um, So Putin's saying to the press, we are going to work together with Saudi Arabia. We're going to survey together the market situation and respond to it operationally. That's, if we were to explain why they, it's like kryptonite seeing them do the high five. That's probably the gist of it, the core of it. Mm
1: -hmm. Power, the power is slipping from America's grasp. It's not good. Uh, it's causing all sorts of turmoil around the world because you know, we more or less live in an American empire, so it can't but affect many places in the world. You know, uh, The whole global economy and global politics and stuff is affected. It's going to be affected as America continue, continues to lose uh, its position progressively lose, lose power, and lose influence around the world. It's not going to be pretty. But we've said that nine times before anyway. Um, what's our last topic today?
0: Well, on a final note, um, we say farewell to George Bush Sr. Yes. Who departed this mortal coil hmm. yesterday.
1: There's a, there's a quote by someone, I don't know who it is, I don't know who the person is, but the quote is I've never killed a man but I've often taken great pleasure in some people's obituaries.
0: And this would be one of them?
1: No, I wouldn't even grace him with taking a lot of pleasure. He's, uh, I, I would I prefer him to be consigned to the dustbin of history. That's what annoys me about, oh, the, well, about the the media eulogising him and stuff. You know, oh, he's a wonderful man. You know, left, right, every shade of mainstream outlet. Doesn't matter. You know, all the, yeah. the lefty anti-war papers and stuff like that, just loving up, loving up on him. Because what? Because... I mean, the defining, the, if you're responsible for the deaths of thousands of people, that's the defining characteristic of you. That's, your, that's the defining point of your history, of, of your life.
0: There's nothing you can but do to it. But that's, too that's, too air, that's that
1: that. airbrushed entirely. Yeah. The one thing that's the defining aspect of George uh, Bush Sr.'s life is airbrushed out of all of the talk, all of the obituaries, uh, are, and the eulogizing of them. That's just sickening, but we've seen it so many times before. John McCain, you know. Is Donald Rumsfeld dead yet? No. Uh, well, all of them. And Cheney, all the ones...
0: Cheney might be next.
1: Cheney, he'll or get Kissinger. it as well. You know, Kissinger, uh, Brzezinski, he got it. He got yeah. He's wonderful, lovely guy. Uh, it's sad, but whatever. It just discredits the media even more, which is a good thing.
0: We have a short video of W Senior, HW. Speaking in 1988, so this would have been when he was campaigning to become president after serving two terms as vice president. Um, Oh, he's, yeah, let me just, I should back the, uh, give you the backstory. He's being asked about the downing of an Iranian airliner. Some Almost 300 people were killed when the U.S. accidentally shot down a civilian aircraft, Iranian. That's all but airbrushed them here. So you never hear that about that in the context of provocations or Iran being bad or terrorism. And they just went, sorry, oops, Well, we, we it was a mistake, but you know, you can't be too sure.
1: Exceptionalist, Can
0: we play it? This very short. America. Ever. I'll never apologize for the United States of America. Ever. I don't care what the facts are. I'll never apologize for the United States of America. I don't care what the facts are, you see, facts for these people have always been alternative, mm-hmm. fluid, put in scare quotes, facts. Don't bother me with your facts. Do you know who I am? We create reality. Yeah.
1: Facts are irrelevant. We make them up as we go along and make them real. Uh, yeah, the only last thing I'll just mention about is Brexit. There's not much to mention about it other than it's just trundling along like the giant farce that it is, you know, people just losing their lunch over it on an increasing basis every day because it's just so nauseating uh, nothing has changed if May's deal is approved by Parliament on the 11th of December um, there will be no brexit uh, the UK will be locked into the customs union as they have been as a member of the EU they'll be locked into it for for foreseeable future nothing substantial will change so Bre- May's Brexit is not Brexit at all. It's got nothing to do with Brexit. It's a, it's a farce. It's a con. Um, not that I'm for or against Brexit. It's irrelevant. I'm just saying what the facts are is that what the people in the UK voted for, they're not getting it. And the British government under May is trying to convince people that this is the best you can get when actually what she's saying is the best you can get is not what you actually voted for at all. No change in our status effectively with the European Union uh, and all of the things that people voting for Brexit wanted to uh, get in terms of the, the control they wanted to get back over their own sovereignty, their own immigration policy. They don't get any of that. They're still a member of the EU. That's why most people are saying that uh, she's not going to get it passed, get this right. deal passed in, in Parliament. And if that happens, she will be removed. There'll be a no confidence vote in her as leader. She'll remove this leader of the, of the party. Someone else will try and you know, become the prime minister. There'll be a vote for a new uh, or a new leader of the Conservative Party, and therefore a new prime minister. And but at that point, it seems that there'll be a lot of calls for another referendum
0: before any uh, before another election,
1: right? Because it'll be so how, uh, the fact that it's such a horrible farce will become so transparent to everybody that the only sensible thing to do is to try again. Uh, although I'm not sure that are will you happen implying then
0: that the only sensible thing to do should a referendum be called, would be for people to vote to stay?
1: No, I think it it might be closer. Who knows if they, they could rig the election. I don't know what way that would go. I think a majority of people in the UK still want to leave the EU. Mm-hmm. So if they have another re- referendum and if it's a fair election, they would just get the same result and then they'd be back at square one. And then it would be the task of the new Conservative Party um, leader and Prime Minister to negotiate another bullshit Brexit deal that doesn't give them Brexit because like I've been saying all along, there is no possibility that the UK can actually leave the EU. From an economic point of view it can't it can't happen and economics trumps everything else. So there's Brexit was never a possibility from an economic point of view. Uh so they should just give it up. It's not happening. The band's not gonna make it, you know, it's not happening. Uh but they're going through the motions because in the middle of all that you've got these power plays, you've got personal will to power, but individual politicians wanting to increase their status, increase their, their influence and become Prime Minister or whatever. Um but of course the other the only thing that that would uh, it's not going to change it really. The only the Brexit the, the vote, the referendum is a problem that won't go away. Uh the only but there can be many changes in amongst that. One is obviously I think that May's time obviously is numbered. Um her time as Prime Minister is numbered. Uh but also the Conservative party might be numbered, uh, their days in, in power might be numbered because there, there may be a general election, a snap general election called as well, um, first, and then Labour might become get, gain power uh, in the UK, and then they would maybe have to decide whether to have another referendum or negotiate a new Labour deal for Brexit, which would be no different than the one the Conservatives negotiated. You see what what a load of crap it this is. This feature
0: like, sounds exciting.
1: Yeah, it sounds. Like, it just sounds like you know. A bunch of monkeys, like you know. Um, It's sad. And it's been going on for two years. It's pathetic. Anyway, uh, yeah. We'll have to wait and see, but that's on on December the 11th. Nothing will happen until then, when they have their vote in Parliament and see if, see what happens. Uh, Yeah, anything
0: else? No, I think that's all the topics we wanted to cover this week.
1: Yeah, it's been a slow enough week. And, you know, that's interesting. That's slow enough. And we, we, if you look back at what actually happened uh, in another era, that would have been a major, a week of major news. Right. But in the current era of massive corruption and factlessness and outrageousness and lies and nonsense, uh, masquerading as 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 truth. Yeah. And, and and sanity. Um, yeah, so much of it, has it's kind of become like snan- white
0: like white noise. It's hard to yeah. say which stands out as more newsworthy right, than the next because right. it's a constant white noise
1: the new normal of of yeah. fecklessness and corruption and lies and you just you just get used to it it becomes a new normal so you don't react to it anymore you go oh, look another apparently major issue happened there where someone said something outrageous or something but because if it's all bullshit if it's all so confused and so stupid that it's not that it's not a major event but rather people have just have been numbed to 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 those big issues you know or, or breaking news event you know because they don't believe it anymore so you just turn off you just you just walk away from it you just go whatever you know you keep shouting screaming things at me like like this is what you want me to be really get want me to get worked up about and i'm like i'm, I'm done like my nervous system is just it's wrecked you know i'm sorry i'm walking away you know yeah it's almost like a pavlovian dog response you know shocks have been coming so 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 fast and so consistent Over the past few years people are just like uh what trump what Trump has a tattoo of the Russian flag on his arse? Oh. <laughs> wow,
2: yeah anyway
0: <laughs> yeah and and what would once have been in the sensational shelf mm. it's just in, 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 a, in a, a newsstand like the National Enquirer mm. it's just wall to wall, page to page online it's just everywhere what's fake, what's real
1: who cares? walk yeah. away apathy yeah but we're not apathetic we are just really is it same? as apathetic being apathetic and being tired of it it's <laughs> the same thing um but it's not always that sometimes something comes along that's actually interesting at least you can kind of talk about it and and, and you can kind of figure things out a little bit more clearly you know although these days it's just it seems to be just more of the same you know sometimes an event comes along where it really kind of like exposes what we've been saying for so long as as having as really been true you know and we kind of maybe get a bit excited about that but it's not every week that you have that kind of thing you know uh, or major major event you know um worth worth spending any time talking about so yeah i think we've done done as much as we can for this week so anyway if you like this video You know what to do like it subscribe click on buttons etc because that's good don't
0: do too much of that though because it's not good for your health after you've done that close the computer go do something else yeah just exactly something with your hands anything exactly
1: Exactly. go build something yeah um all right so we'll be back next week with another show we hope you enjoyed this one until then have a good evening
0: see you next week bye everyone